Uncovering your truth and fire, one conversation at a time. This is the Spitfire Podcast. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for another awesome episode of the Spitfire Podcast. I am here with... Do you want me to call you LJ, Lori? What LJ's good. LJ. Yeah. LJ Samuel is here. She's an author, criminologist, and she is now the organizer, the spearhead of Cupid Sting, which is a nonprofit focused on interpersonal violence education and prevention. Correct. She's got some cool stuff coming up. Um, we are in Southwest DC, and that's actually where the event's going to be taking place. Right. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about where this fire came to do this nonprofit work, sure. the books you're writing, mm-hmm. criminology. Antigua, she's an island girl. Yes, and, I am. <laughs> and, and we may be talking dogs because that's just what we do. But LJ, thank you so much for joining me thank today. Thank you for having me. So Southwest DC, yes. how long have you been here? So um, I guess it's going on three years. So it's about two and a half years. Awesome. Yeah. And you were in Antigua before. That's Antigua, not Antigua people. Correct. And <laughs> Antigua and Barbuda in the Caribbean. Yes. So that is my 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 background that's in my blood but i actually grew up in toronto interesting mm-hmm. so can you you would actually be our second canadian on this show <laughs> oh is that right <laughs> yes. wonderful we had montreal uh, okay. on our last episode okay. so we we are going so yeah, international yeah. now yeah big up ontario oh, yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> didn't think that was going to be the turn but yeah. all good so you came to Canada, then you came to, did you come to D.C. after? No, no. So I actually ended up in the United States to go to school. Mm -hmm. So um, I went to graduate school at Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan, and actually came to D.C. to collect data um, when I was writing my thesis and ended up really liking D.C., so decided that I wanted to continue my graduate work here as opposed to staying in cold Michigan. Gotcha. Um, So that's really how I ended up in D.C. So what was your thesis on? So it was on civilian review boards and how that impacts policing, and I really extended that research to my doctoral dissertation, again, still looking at policing because I'm a policing person. That's my background. Um, And I actually looked at homicide, but it was still, I've always been interested in relationships. So the relationship between police and the community, but namely the minority community and how that impacts policing. Where did this passion come from? So interesting. I'm passionate about so many things, but just growing up, I knew um, that I would be going to um, university and some form of postgraduate work, but I always thought I was going to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a criminal lawyer, but it was the same thing to to fight for the underdog. Mm-hmm. That is just really my, my passion and kind of my life's work. And the summer, one summer, I got an internship at our local police department and just fell in love. So after undergrad, I decided to kind of craft my studies and do a master's focusing on policing and police organizations and then um, move on to do a PhD. Awesome. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So you're dealing with not-so-nice topics. Correct. You're dealing with kind of the... I mean, we see it on TV as a, a romanticized on SVU and things like that. So what, what is your take on kind of the way that homicides and yeah. crime is portrayed in the media? Um, it, it's, it's certainly entertaining. And I always say, wouldn't it be nice to solve 
a crime. Not in 45 only, minutes. Right, yeah, or less. And and you get to watch some really good commercials, you know. But find, find the suspect, arrest the suspect, prosecute the suspect, and sentence them all in, you know, a matter of 45 minutes. So it's certainly not that easy. Um, it's a really hard job, especially in certain communities, um, because oftentimes the police don't have the best reputation so it's really hard to work with residents and get them to come forward with crime information. And then just when you think of just the sheer trauma when we're looking at homicide, it's a really big issue. And so there are other variables at work when you're going in to try and solve a crime. Mm. So it's not as just as simple as let's pull the videotape and see who the shooter is and identify a suspect. You know, this is somebody's child. Mm -hmm. um, this is somebody's friend, um, a community member. And then it could be a historical problem in that community. So you really have to work through all those issues before you can even start trying to solve the crime. So this is interesting because I think this is a great segue for your work with Cupid Sting. Mm -hmm. So how much of what you were saying with these factors of you know, the culture, the environment, the mm -hmm. community, the lack of coming forward and giving information, the trust. Mm -hmm. How much of that factors into domestic violence, interpersonal violence? Oh, a lot of it. I think one of the things that I've been blessed with is um, to really be a good listener and to really been, be empathetic. Mm -hmm. And people, I try to make people very comfortable, so I really work on building a rapport so that people are comfortable so that they can talk about these issues. And you talk about it if you want to. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But it's interesting. It's something I never thought I would ever be doing. You know, I really wanted to kind of focus on the other side of policing and not so much these issues. But I was teaching at Howard University um, teaching criminology classes, and we had a rape on campus. Mm -hmm. And the students protested. Wonderful. But after the protests, they didn't know what to do. So they had a lot of questions. And these were undergraduate students, some of them as young as 17. So, so what do you do? How do you counsel these, these, these students? Um, and you can't just tell them to get over it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be proactive because I tried to put myself in the situation of being a parent and sending my child away um, hundreds of miles, thousands of miles for some of the students, and that happening mm -hmm. and thinking about their safety. So what I started doing with my classes, we started talking about the issue of dating how do you date? How do you meet people? What do you do to ensure your safety? And we talked about rape. Nobody wants to say rape. You say sexual assault mm -hmm. or misconduct or you know certain violations to make it a little more sexy, but rape is what it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we talked about that, how that made them feel, and really looking at some preventative measures so that if any of them ever got into a situation my thing was, how do you get out of that alive? Mm -hmm. So I introduced some self-defense classes. You know, after school time, I worked with some student groups, and we did some workshops, and then I expanded that to the community. And then around the same time, I'd written my first novel, which is called Dear Diary, and it's a murder mystery set in D.C., but it focuses on a domestic mm -hmm. violence homicide. 
And when I would speak to people about the book or people would tell me their thoughts after reading the book, it always turned into a, a long conversation. So I would sit in the locker room in the gym outside a church and people would pour their hearts out to me. And when I say people, namely women, mm -hmm. and they would tell me about their experiences when they were young. And sometimes they could be in their 50s and 60s, and this situation could have happened to them when they were in their 20s or when they were teenagers, mm -hmm. but it still impacted them. Mm -hmm. So I realized that there was clearly a void. And we have all kinds of programs out there, but there was still a void where there was a there was a space lacking for people to just come and just talk about these issues, mm -hmm. whether it's just to vent, whether it was to gain more information, but it's really about the empowerment. So one thing I always say with Cupid Sting is I really want women and people just in general to take ownership over their personal safety, and that's where it started. Interesting. Well, kudos to you. It sounds like, you know, from something horrific like a rape, right. you were able to really build something that can help people tenfold and they can pay it forward. Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's awesome. So we've got this movement, the Me Too movement. Yes, yes. And you see big powerhouses coming down. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of movement. And I want to talk about race a little bit here because mm -hmm. this actually came up in a conversation I have with someone else. But this seems very much like white women coming out mm -hmm. and saying, Me Too, Me Too, Me Too. Right. And, you know, being a professor at Howard University, a predominantly black mm -hmm. university where you're dealing with a different culture, you don't see as many black women, black men coming out mm -hmm. in the Me Too movement. What do you mm -hmm. think that's about? Well, I, what, one thing that I think is so interesting, so really it's about access, but the woman that started the she Me was a black Too woman. movement is a black yeah. woman, Tawana Burke, and she started this over 10 years ago. But it wasn't until Alyssa Milano who's a star, um, beautiful white woman, put something on Twitter that it was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. But Tawana, who maybe to mainstream isn't, you know, Alyssa Milano-like, didn't get that kind of leverage. So for those that actually weren't paying attention, it was always, oh, Alyssa Milano started this movement when she did not. So it's just something that in the black community or other minority communities that they're just used to being invisible. Mm -hmm. And um, because they're not mainstream, whatever that means, their stories really don't reach the forefront unless they're a superstar. So with the Golden Globes, I think it was the Golden mm -hmm. Globes, um, so you had uh, black women, uh, Latino women, Asian women, um, part of that movement and really supporting their sisters um but they're superstars mm -hmm. so what about just regular people like you and me yeah where do we go for our stories to be told and our voices to be heard because i can guarantee you even without you telling me your story that at least i know you've been probably harassed on the street mm -hmm. so let's start with kind of the basics it's just really sad it's really sad so what i think is that people that are in positions to do something, and I'm not saying that I am, I'm trying, but if we can really start building these coalitions, because these are the stories that I want to hear. Um, yeah, I'm sorry it happened to you, Alyssa Milano, but you're, you know, you're rich. You can afford an attorney. Mm -hmm. um, you can afford counseling. Mm -hmm. But 
I'm hoping that these women in power are using these platforms to help those that don't have the access that they have. Yeah. Well, and and so even being, I'm a Southwest resident, right. and I see the interaction with kids. Mm-hmm. And I remember growing up, you know, the teasing, the name calling, the touching, mm-hmm. the escalation of that type of right. behavior right. is really seen as norm. Mm-hmm. And so how do you suggest parents, teachers, community leaders really start to educate kids or to shift them that this isn't normal and for the the women and the men that are experiencing this, that this is not okay. Because I think there is a level of, well, it's happening to everyone else, so Mm -hmm. therefore it must be normal. It's, it's, and that's, that is the word. It's become normalized. And to answer that question, we have to start really young. How young? Um, I'm thinking a toddler, as soon as they can really start understanding language Mm -hmm. and start forming words. um, I know that probably most parents will tell their daughters um, that you're you're not allowed to be touched here, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in your private areas. And if somebody does, you let mommy know, you let daddy know. Um, But that has to be reinforced through your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, Mm -hmm. your um, church then at preschool and onward because kids, the statistics show that kids are dating as young as seven and eight years old. Wow. Kids are getting involved in interpersonal violence, fights, um, you know, being pushed and hit from their little boyfriends at seven and eight years old. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you were doing when you were seven. Um, I wasn't even thinking about Mm -hmm. that. So it has to really be in every aspect of this child's life in terms of development. And then we, as adults, have to stop being afraid to speak up that when you see that behavior on the street, and it's all in how you approach it, Mm -hmm. hey, 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 don't do that. Don't touch her that way. Where's your mother? Mm -hmm. You know, we've we've moved away from that because everybody's so afraid but um i live in southwest too and this is a small community and if we want our community to thrive you have to start doing things Mm -hmm. like that because it's not fair because you have some young ladies that um might be nervous they don't have the confidence to speak up Mm -hmm. and then something really bad will happen to them and it's hard it's really hard when it's they're not your children Mm -hmm. but I think that that's the only way we're going to move past this yeah well I I mean I see a whole different layer of this Mm -hmm. so we're talking about situational things but what happens when in the home they're seeing their mom get hit they're seeing their mom getting screamed at by the boyfriend by the husband by whoever it is or they're being um, mistreated by a close family member an aunt or uncle what do those kids do that are getting it at school and also getting it at home Mm -hmm. and so if they speak up they're they're getting the the brunt of it right so what do we need to do so I really think that the school system because kids spend so much time at school and they're trying they are some Mm-hmm. Um, Montgomery County is doing a really good job working with um, community organizations and having this as part of their curriculum, after school activities. Um, I think for things that activities that are enjoyable to children, so if it's music, if it's cheerleading, if it's football, then we need to get those people, the coaches, also involved in terms of this is how you treat gotcha. each other. And one of the things that I've been really trying to work on and collect some data on 
when you break the genders down, so let's take boys, little boys that start playing football when they're seven or eight years old. They're taught to be aggressive, mm-hmm. aggressive on the field, aggressive in the classroom. You know, I'm going to answer all the questions. Um, or maybe if I don't know my schoolwork, I'm going to be a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's this, this vein of aggression in everything that they do. So now when they're on the playground with little girls, they're pushing them, they're touching them inappropriately and then now they start dating Mm -hmm. and this is how they express themselves so I tried doing some work last year with having groups with just young men and they were 17 none of them are over 19 years old still a little late but at least we had some access and we just started having talks with how do you approach women Mm -hmm. How do you meet women? What do you say? And this is the appropriate thing to say. Mm -hmm. This is the way you're supposed to treat a female. This is the way you're supposed to treat your girlfriend. This is the way you're supposed to treat your friends that are your female friends. And then to remind them that this is a crime. So when you touch somebody in an unwanted way, whether or not you think it's a game, Mm -hmm. it's a crime. So we can call the police and you'll be arrested and you'll be kicked out of school. And it means that if you wanted to be the CEO of, I don't know, BET, Coca-Cola, Amazon, that dream is going to go away based on that one interaction. Mm -hmm. So it's just really prompting young people to think before they act and then to really let them know, how would you feel? If somebody did this to you, even with the boys, Mm -hmm. what if some man, big overpowering man, you know, violated you? Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping and I'm not sure yet with Me Too and Time's Up with this movement. I'm not sure if it's a movement yet. Mm -hmm. We're really going to have to see if it's sustained throughout the year. Mm -hmm. But for me, the academic in me says when I really start seeing some real policy change, Mm. but policy that um, really has some power behind it, and when it's enforced and we start seeing those stories, then I'm going to believe it. So we see some powerful men got fired. They lost their jobs. But I'm like, so what? Are they going to jail? Right. Because that's where they need to be going. Matt Lauer was making like $34 million a year. So what? He still has that $34 million. Mm -hmm. If you told me that they said that he's not going to get that money for Mm -hmm. 2017, and in the meantime they're prosecuting, then I would say this was real change. I feel like we need to start an end what movement. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Hashtag end what. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, me too, they get fired, and what? Yeah. What's the next yeah. step? What is the next step? But you look at this even from like the financial crisis, Mm -hmm. you know, people went out of work. But the people who stole millions and billions of dollars never saw Imagine. a day of jail. Imagine. It's the same type of thing. Yes, absolutely. So what, what is the big piece of policy change that you would like to see happen? Oh, great question. And I really think that um, kind of just echoing what I said, it would have to be with, with prosecution. So there would have to be, and it would be nice if it was, you know, some kind of federal policy. I mean, we have a big... Um, agency, Violence Against Women's Office. Um, but I would like to see something where corporations, small businesses, up to you know larger business, corporations, um, politics, 
every governmental agency that, um, just like you know that homicide is a crime, and mm -hmm. if anybody commits homicide, whether or not you are a newscaster or a drug dealer on the street, you're going to be arrested and prosecuted, and you're going to go to jail. So whether or not um, you're Harvard-educated mm -hmm. or you didn't finish high school, the same should be true for everybody. So, And it's funny because we have laws against um, assault, mm -hmm. sexual assault, um, but it's just not being enforced because um, of the way somebody might look yeah. or how much money they make. Mm -hmm. so, so it's the way that the victim looks. And the way the victim looks and the way the suspect looks. Ah, interesting. Okay. So imagine um, if it wasn't Matt Lauer, mm -hmm. but it was, um, um, oh, what's his name? Um, the weatherman, um, Al, Al Broker. Broker. Let's say that this, was This Al. is not Al Broker's actual story. Right. But, <laughs> but if, if the story was changed mm -hmm. and we learned that it was Al Broker involved in these... Um, in these crimes and these mm -hmm. actions, I think he would be in jail right now. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So when you asked me earlier about race, it plays a huge yeah. role. So again, it's access. You know, um, Matt Lauer's able to hide mm -hmm. um, because he's a very wealthy man. Mm -hmm. And I still think that he's probably going to have people in his circle that will support him mm -hmm. because he's Matt Lauer. So again, it's, when you asked about what do you do about on the street, what do we do when we're in um, the boardroom? Right. What do we do when we're in church? What do we do when we're in um, the grocery store? So now it's our responsibility mm -hmm. to speak up, to say that we're not going to accept that. So when you see a man or a woman behaving in a certain way, then we have to speak up mm -hmm. and say that it's no longer acceptable. So if that's you ostracizing them, I don't know what that looks like. I know what I do, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not everybody. You know, not everybody, you know, has that drive and that fire. Um, you know, I'm a fairly assertive person. Um, but for those that aren't, they need our help. Mm -hmm. And I just think that the more of us, more of us need to speak up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the perpetrators mm -hmm. for a bit. Um, you know, we talk about learned behavior. We talk about um, the the environment, the culture. But what if you are that person who has lived this life thinking you're doing nothing wrong, mm -hmm. and you suddenly realize, oh wow, what do I do now? Like I've I've done all these things, and this is the the question mm -hmm. um, from the Me Too movement that I'm curious about. Right. So, what do you do if if you have done this, mm -hmm. if you have crossed the line, if you know you know what, I violated someone's personal space and made them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. How do they address it, remedy, you know, what, what is the reform process that you suggest? Good question. <clears throat> well, um, I think it would be very rare for somebody to actually admit that they're wrong. It's very hard for anybody to admit they're wrong. But there would have to be a certain willingness and um, you think of, there's a concept in criminology called restorative justice. So it's one method of um, punishment or um, retribution, just addressing somebody's crimes. Um, so you would have the suspect, the perpetrator, 
do something and part of it would be to acknowledge mm-hmm. the wrong and apologize and then maybe do something so whether that's um taking up this and championing this cause and educating other mm-hmm. people um but i really think we have to start with um i keep saying prosecution because it's only right but for somebody like that I would really appreciate hearing their story. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a really big thing for somebody to admit. And I think for a lot of the victims, it's just the acknowledgement. Yeah. It's the acknowledgement. And part of the acknowledgement is just slowing down, looking at them, and just really listening to what they have to say. Because yeah. it's a very emotional thing. Um, you know, I'm not the most optimistic person, so I don't see a lot of the perps um, coming forward mm-hmm. and admitting that. But that would be a really, really big thing. And maybe then it would be a movement on the other side right. where then that would help infuse policy in terms of schooling, parenting, um, and these other arenas. Mm-hmm. Because I do think that a lot of it comes from we coddle our children, we coddle our boys, um, you know, just even in the society, we, we tend to be more excited when a boy is born, <clears throat> excuse me, versus a girl. And then, you know, we put them on this pedestal, and then especially if they're nice looking, they're talented, then certain things fall by the wayside, and then they can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. And we have to end that. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's there's a need for education. Absolutely. Um, on both sides. On both on sides. On all sides. Mm-hmm. This is not a one-sided, you Correct. know, only victims are responsible for mm-hmm. this. This is, you know, the whole community mm-hmm. is involved. But I want to talk about your event because, okay, you know, great. I think we've primed it up. There's some amazing movement. You've got a launch event coming up on Wednesday, March 14th at the SWBID. So right down the street on yes. 4th Street. If you are in D.C., 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., it is donations to come in, registration? So, yeah, so the tickets are free, but we have a suggested donation because the event is part fundraiser. So really what I'm trying to do is raise $25,000 for the, re- the year, for 2018, so that I can put some workshops together and where a lot of these victims that we're talking about don't have access to this. Um, they can't afford to go to workshops. They can't afford to go to a self-defense class, which could be very costly. So I'm trying to raise some funds so that I can provide this service to um, our community. Awesome. Well, yeah. the Spitfire podcast will be there awesome. in full force. Yes. <laughs> and I hope to hear to see a lot of our listeners there. But what do you need in order to make this event a success? So one of the main things I need um, is, is partners. I need businesses, community groups, corporations, government agencies to really come come and support this event. I'm looking for sponsors, so I'm looking for sponsors to make the event a success. Um, I want everybody to come out and have a great time and have a glass of wine and, you know, have some nibbles while we, you know, engage in some discussions on interpersonal violence. But, you know, unfortunately it's not cheap, so I could really use some support. And I'm really trying to introduce the services to the community. So if somebody knows where they can go, I want to be a resource. This is not about me. This is about healing. This is about empowering women and men. 
Men are victims too. And I just want people to know that I'm here and I'm here to help. So I really need the support. I need um, people talking about Cupid Sting. I need to get the word out. I need people to get tickets. You can get tickets on Eventbrite. If you just search Cupid Sting Launch, you'll find it on Eventbrite. Bring your friends out. Bring your families out. Let's start having these discussions. And I really want to work with some local businesses on um, sharing space. So if there's an empty room, maybe every Thursday, um, where I can bring people by to sit and have some of these discussions, um, space where we can do self-defense classes, that would be really helpful. Awesome. And we'll have the link to that on the show notes, and we'll get it pushed out to all of our social media. Awesome. But I got to know, what's your superpower? <laughs> my faith in God. That's really my superpower. That's my, that is my driving force. Because as I said earlier, this is not something I ever thought I would be doing. Mm-hmm. And um, it keeps calling me. It really keeps calling me. It's not easy, especially when you hear a lot of these stories, you um, internalize it and you kind of take it on and you're trying to figure out how can I help this person? Um, But clearly it's something that needs to be done. Yeah. And what's your kryptonite? (laughs) Sugar. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, what? I didn't hear that. Sugar. That was not what I was expecting. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I will have the Cupid Sting website, the launch event. Again, that's March 14th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. in Southwest D.C. The SWBID, we love them. They keep our streets nice and clean. They're the best. They're the best best guys ever. Hi, Andre. (laughs) We'll give a shout-out to the SWBID. Um, We'll have the links in social media. It's at Cupid Sting on Instagram. Instagram, yeah, at Cupid Sting. um, Twitter. Cupid's underscore sting and on Facebook at Cupid's sting. Two S's. Two S's, people. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. And for all the spitfires out there, keep being awesome.